Hello everyone. Yes, it is the 29th and yes, happy 29th anniversary to Sonic Satay-Am. Yes, today, the 18th of September 2022 marks the 29th uh, anniversary of one of the more iconic Saturday morning video game cartoons um, in recent memory. One that has kept and maintained a cult following even to this day. And one that basically is on the verge, thanks to those at Team Season, fan, Team Season that is, uh, they are on the verge of trying to revive for a new generation, basically revive the uh, lost Season 3, as the late Ben Hurst, uh, who was one of the writers on the series, wanted to intend, or was intended, I should, I should say, to make. And because it is the 29th anniversary, that does mean that next year, on September 18th, 2023, will mark 30 years. And I've kind of, I've kind of come to the conclusion that Team Season is aiming for the 30th anniversary to release the third season, at least one or a few of the episodes they are working on, they are aiming for the 30th anniversary next year. But, speaking of 30th anniversaries, ladies and gentlemen, this also marks 30 years. This time era, this time frame as we speak, the fall, you know, if you will, well, the upcoming fall this week, start of the fall seasons this week. Um, this marks 30 years since the Archie Sonic began. This time, 30 years ago, Zero Issue Zero, Issue Zero, the miniseries, was first released. The one that basically got the ball rolling. As a matter of fact, let me see if I have it. Hold on. For a second, let me see if I have it stowed away here somewhere. I don't know if I do. I mean, I do, but I gotta figure out where I, I put it. Hold on. I know I have it somewhere. It's in here somewhere. I just can't figure out where I put it, but I do have the first issue of the very first issue period of when it was released as issue zero. I'm trying to find it. I have it mixed in here. I have it mixed in with a lot of comics. I, I basically have the entire run, if you will, just about the entire run of the comic series itself. And that is saying something uh, in the long run. That I have just about every issue of the comic, the main comic that is, and I have some issues of Universe and X and, and all of them. Uh, I have it. It's in here somewhere. I think I've shown it before. Just trying to see where I put it at. You know, trying to see where I may have put it. But, but it's here. I know it is. I, I know I have it. But I, I can't find it right now. But I know I have that issue. And I've shown it before. It's part of my collection videos. But I do um, have uh, that issue. I do have issue zero in my collection. 
I mean, that's a fact. I mean, who probably doesn't have it? But yeah, this time frame marks 30 years since the Archie Sonic uh, comic began with issue zero to issue three. And then a few months later, uh, we got the regular series debut in the spring of 1993. But, you know, that's that's that anniversary, if you will. That's that anniversary, if you want to get technical. The anniversary people are talking about today, you know, is the 29th anniversary of Sonic Stadium. And a lot of people are celebrating it in their own unique way. Team Season did a live stream earlier today. Uh, you know, just doodling, showing what they've done, actually showing some uh, work clips, WIPs, um, of, of scenes from the upcoming episode that they're working on. And like I said, I think they're trying to aim for a release in the actual 30th anniversary year of 2023. I think that is their target, if not sooner, but that's pretty much more uh, reliable and more realistic in my opinion. Uh, another person that uh, basically is doing their own take on celebrating the 29th anniversary uh, is Sat A.M. Historian, Sat A.M. Historian, a.k.a. Jacob Berkeley, who uh, for the past year or so, a couple of years, has been working on a book called The Complete History of Sonic the Hedgehog, basically Sat A.M. And he has done, inst- basically has done extensive research on everything. And he will be crediting those that helped him out, those that he's interviewed, those that helped, you know, contribute to the book, including yours truly, because I uh, contributed uh, copies. I basically scanned and sent him copies of stuff that I have when it comes to Saturday AM. In fact, I'll pop those out right now while I can, if I can, you know, get to them. Uh, I'll try to pop them out right now if I can. Let me see where it's at. Uh, here it is. Kind of buried right now, but I'll pull them out. Hold on. There it is. A whole envelope's worth of, of stuff, not just at AM, but other stuff I've shown before. But, yeah, he, um, you know, he's celebrating in his own way by sharing Three interviews that he had conducted for the complete history of Sonic the Hedgehog Satam uh, book, and I plan to try to read some of these interviews as best as I can, you know, for you uh, today on this video. Um, but yeah, he, you know, he's celebrating in his own way and stuff, and of course, I'm here as a fan, celebrating my own way um, as well, doing this video and talking about it and like I've mentioned many times and when I've talked about Sat AM and my history with it um, I, I even did a complete I think I did a Sonic uh, yeah I did a Sonic Sat AM retrospective which uh, James Sullivan aka Hymitude actually contributed to so big shout out to James on that um, he um, not he but basically I talked about my history with with the cartoon and how me and my family were living uh, in the Midwest when it came out. Yeah. We were actually living in Kansas at the time, in Oskaloosa, Kansas. And, um, you know, I remember, you know, being upstairs in my room, because me and my sisters, you know, as usual, would have our own rooms. And we had two upstairs. Uh, I had my room, which was on this side, 
and my sisters had the room, which was on this side, and I had a TV, they had a TV, uh, but we didn't have cable. We had basically over-the-air television, which at the time for Saturday morning cartoons was good enough. And I remember watching, and they were watching it at the same time downstairs, but I remember watching the Friday, the, the, Saturday, the Saturday morning preview special on Friday on, on TGIF, and they showed Sonic Saturday M. One of the things they would do, and I mentioned this before, one of the things they would do which shows that they were getting behind, they were hyping up, is they would show basically about five, maybe ten minutes, but mostly five minutes of an episode. And the episode they showed, the episode they showed was Supersonic, which actually ended up being the very first episode ever shown on Sonic Saturday M, despite the fact that the pilot, Heads or Tails, uh, was aired last in season one, uh, you know, <laughs> you know when that season came to an end. But yeah, Supersonic was the first one that I ever saw, and I really enjoyed it. And again, it made me wonder if that season was going to be Sonic having to go back and forth to Robotropolis to try to rescue Bunny and Sally being under the control of R Robotnik. But thankfully, it was only for like not even half the episode they were under his control. And all that, and uh, but it definitely gave you an idea of what to expect, uh, you know, with this series, and potentially how dark and serious it can get. So, so yeah, I was, um, so yeah, I was hooked immediately. And the first season was kind of like for me watching it was kind of like an up and down roller coaster. Like I would watch the episodes as best I could in the morning on Saturdays uh, in my room. But then, of course, me and my family moved back to California, and we ended up moving back in with my grandparents. And it was a little hard to do since, you know, we had a television in our room that we all shared. We all shared one room, believe it or not. Um, and my <laughs> computer just went into sleep mode almost. Almost made me look like it went and shut down, but thankfully it didn't. Uh, but anyway, like I said, um, we moved back with, we moved back to California, moved back in my grandparents, and we all shared one room. We all shared one room, believe it or not, and we only had one television. So it was kind of hard for me to watch cartoons, but I would be able to try to sneak in an episode here and there of Sonic and a few others. Um, you know, and then sometimes I think when my grandparents would be out um, at Comanche, because they still went to Comanche at times on their own, and I think they even took my sister sometimes with them, my second older sister and my cousins uh, with them, um, I would, you know, be able to watch Saturday morning cartoons on their television in the kitchen. That's what I'd be able to do. Now, I'm not going to get too much into specific personal details, but there were some times where, because, you know, we had to abide by the rules, things would be a little bit different. You know, there would be times to where it would be like, well, why did they do this? Why did they do that? But, you know, that's just how they were at the time. But most of the time I was able, when, like I said, when they went to Comanche, I was able to go on in the kitchen and watch one of their, um, you know, watch one of their, watch not one of them, but watch the cartoons on the television um, in there. You know, that's what I was able to do. Or I was able to watch it on the big screen or the big television in the living room, or I was able to watch it uh, in my, in, in the bedroom me and my family shared. Anyway, when I moved back out with my dad in 94, uh, that's when I was able to kind of get really back in to uh, the cartoon on 
and and not just back in, but basically be able to catch up with it. Because my dad had cable. He had cable installed. So I was able to watch the episodes. And then I think not even about a week or two after I was there, we bought a VCR from a pawn shop. And so I was able to record a variety of cartoons on that uh, on that uh, VCR. And I think this was around the time my dad was working. I think he was working or he was looking for work or he was sleeping. So I... Oh, he was doing something, I think. I think he may have been working. I'm not really, really sure. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think he was. I think he was working at a place called Southwest Publishing. So, um, you know, in Topeka, Kansas. So, anyway, I remember, you know, getting up on Saturdays, because he would work almost every other Saturday, or every Saturday, I think he worked. And um, I, wa- I would watch and record a lot of cartoons. I had a variety of cartoons on tapes, like... I had the Ninja Turtles on a tape with Rescue Rangers. I had them on there with X-Men, stuff like that. Well, not Rescue Rangers, but... Well, yeah, I had Rescue Rangers on a tape, too, (laughs) I should say. But what I was trying to say is I had um, episodes of the Ninja Turtles, Wildcats, uh, X-Men, Sonic Stadium, all compiled into one variety tape and all that, which unfortunately are lost now. They are destroyed um, due to reasons. But, yeah, I used to have those... Uh, episodes, all, all episodes of all those cartoons uh, mixed together, and then it went. And then when we got to the second season, that's when I decided to take a page out of my cousin's uh, playbook, one of my cousin's playbook, and dedicate a VHS to one VCR, one recordable VHS, to uh, just the show, just to Sonic Saturday M to season two. And it, and his thing, I missed watching Game Guy because I slept in. I was tired. I slept in on that Saturday, so I missed that. I watched the tail end of it, but I missed the majority of it. But I did watch it later on when it got reran. But basically what I did is afterwards I dedicated, like I said, a majority of the tape to recording all the episodes. So I had recorded from, you know, the following week, uh, Sonic Inversion, No Brainer, both Blast of the Past parts, uh, the first of the two... um, I guess you could say non-canon comedic shorts, Antoine shorts as they call them, uh, which was fed up with Antoine and Ghostbusted. Then I recorded, um, you know, Dulcie. And then after that, I recorded The Void. And it was after I recorded The Void that the VCR, it still played tapes, but it stopped recording. Like the recording function just died. I don't know how that happened, but it just died. So I couldn't record anymore. I couldn't record anymore, so I just, you know, I just finished watching the rest of the season as it was, and enjoyed it, and just like anybody else, I thought, oh, we're going to get a third season, and we never did. We never did, and it wouldn't be until a couple of years later, I would be, as I've mentioned before in other videos, I'd be part of this um, uh, summer summer program for my school, where I would go and live for about a week or two in apartments, kind of get like a dorm-like feel. Uh, of when you would, you know, graduate out of high school. I lived with other people, and that's when I found out that Saturday M was still being shown, but it was being shown on USA, on the USA Network, as part of the Action Extreme Team block. But unfortunately, it had been butchered to hell. Yeah, some episodes, if not a majority of episodes, due to time restraints, have been butchered to hell. And that did not go over well with people. And it wasn't until later on, after I graduated, 
and everything that I found out that the show was still being seen or being revived and seen in reruns uh, on pop television. That's you know that's when I found out it was being reran, and then I found out that Adventures had been put had been uh, purchased uh, license wise to be broadcast on Toon Disney, and I thought honestly okay if Adventures is going to be there Sonic Saturday M was going to be there, and I think I heard somewhere that it was, but then they took it off. I don't know why, but it was it was there, but then they took it off. The only thing closest to it was of course Christmas Blast, which. I was cool with because hey, it had name references, you know, out of you know name acknowledgments and references out of Saturday M, and it had Sally, so you know that was good enough for me. But still, it was like, you know, why would Toon Disney, if it's true, show Saturday M seasons one to two only once and then no more? I I could never get it. I never could get that. But yeah, apparently, I think it was on Toon Disney for one time, and then that was it. And it would be, you know, it would be about a couple of years later, basically uh, two years later, um, after, uh, not two years, but four years after I moved out to into my own place in Lawrence, Kansas, that we finally did get a new release of Sonic Sat AM on, um, on physical media. You know, we got it on physical media. And what that was, was of course, and I've shown this before recently in my... Sonic uh, movie collect my Sonic DVD collection. That was of course this one by Trimark um, Home Video and Liongate's Home Entertainment, and this contained the episodes um, Super Sonic, Sonic and Sally, Warp Sonic. I think it contained uh, Hooked on Sonic, Onic. I think. I think it contained Hooked on Sonic. I'm not really sure. I gotta look again. Hold on for a sec. I think it contained Hooked on Sonic. Let me turn on the lights. It's getting a little darker out here. But let's see. It uh, contained uh, Super Sonic, Sonic and Sally. Uh, oh, Sonic Racer, Sonic Racer, and uh, uh, Sonic Boom is what it contained on here. And then the bonus episode after you um, solved the trivia game aim and everything, the bonus episode was Sonic and the Secret Scrolls, which I consider, and everybody else is in agreement, was the official last episode, the se- season finale, the season one finale to to the show. But as I've talked about before, and maybe Jacob, if you're watching this, you'll probably mention this in the book um, as well, this didn't have a long lifespan. It's like as quickly as it got released, it got removed, it got uh, pulled, due to the fact that they, you know, that being Trimark and Lion Gates, you know, did not have Benio Vista's uh, permission. Benio Vista, of course, being uh, another name for Disney, being basically the name of the distributor, home video distributor uh, for Disney, for non-Disney properties that were licensed to them, like, you know, a lot of the geek entertainment properties at that time, because they owned, you know, some of the properties, if not owned geek entertainment at that time. They had it licensed out to them, so they had the rights to distribute, you know, whatever they wanted under their under the Benio Vista Home Entertainment uh, Library, including Sonic, and basically Trimark and Liongates did not get the permission to do this, um, even though it was officially okayed by Geek. Geek apparently didn't get the okay from Disney to allow it to happen, and like I said, um, as quickly as it got released, it got removed. 
thankfully I got myself a copy as well as I was able to get copies for uh, people that had helped me out at that time, like Jay Foxfire and uh, uh, Rafaela XD and, and a few others. I was able to get a, a copy of this uh, when I did. You know, I was able to get a copy when I did. Uh, but it was also during that time, it was also during that time, though, that I went online, and I've mentioned this before, there was a Canadian shop um, online where I basically was looking at, you know, some things to just, to buy. You know, I had a card, art and everything. I was working at the time, so I had a bank account out and everything. And I was just looking for stuff to buy and everything. And lo and behold, I went to this Canadian shop because I think I heard online that this might have been one of the best areas to get it. And, you know, because I looked on Amazon and, you know, they cost a little bit more on Amazon and everything. So I went to this Canadian shop and lo and behold, all three volumes were there. And I had seen these three volumes previously um, at a Target in uh, Lawrence, Kansas, I think. Um, and as I've mentioned before, uh, me and my dad were in Lawrence, Kansas, I think in 94, you know, at the Target there. And one aisle was, and it's like on one side you had the toys toys and everything I think the toys the toys were like on this side and on this side was electronics and the movies and all that kind of like like right in the middle it's like the movies and stuff that was still VHS of course at the time well right in the middle and the um, and uh, basically the you know like the TVs and stuff VCRs and all that they were selling were right over here and then toys were like on the other side of the movies uh, that they were selling and right in the middle of that aisleway, you know, like that middle section where the movies were, they had a display of some of the new stuff that was released. And lo and behold, I saw these there. I saw these there. Now these aren't the ones that they that were at that Target, but you know they were. Ba these are basically the same ones that were displayed, but they're not the ones that were displayed that day. And I was just happy to see them. You know, I was happy to see them there. And then what I did later on when we were renting movies from Blockbuster is I rented one of these from Blockbuster. I rented one of these from Blockbuster as well. Then I went over and I think, I don't know if it was at Blockbuster or at a mom and pop shop in Oskaloosa. But I remember also renting a VCR and everything to uh, try to copy, to try to copy these to, you know, to our own... To my own VHS, and then that's when I, that, and then that was like, you know, the first time I ever found out about copyright protection, because yeah, it recorded, but you could barely see anything. It's like you could hear it, but the picture was all like blah. So anyway, fast forward, like I said, I lived on my own, went online, saw that these were being sold for a decent price out of Canada, and decided to get them, and that's what I did. And of course, you have the Sonic Racer, which Sonic Racer and Sonic Boom. You have Supersonic with, of course, the episode Supersonic and Sonic and Sally. And then, of course, you have Hooked on Sonics with Hooked on Sonics and Warp Sonic um, to go with it. And these are basically the uh, tapes, you know, as they, as they were when they first got uh, released. So I was, it was pretty cool when I finally got these because I was just thrilled and everything. And I think they had these at the at a Go Hastings. They had at least one of them at a Go Hastings one time, and I couldn't get it because I think they had already uh, sold it, or they basically put it in the back to you know pretty much mail back to I think whoever distributed it to them. 
but yeah these are the uh, VHS tapes and they, these are still the plastic coverings they came in except or except the um, supersonic one of course uh, yeah the, not the supersonic but of course the sonic racer one didn't have it but yeah uh, these were the ones that I, I bought and to kind of go back to what I was talking about you see the the name here it says uh, I don't know if you can see that very well it says Deke Toon Time Video right Deke Two Time Two Time Video and the reason it says that the reason it says Deke Toon Time Video is that was a name that Dick had settled on but I think it was a name they settled on thanks to uh, Disney who again was distributing this through the uh, and here it is right here the Benio Vista home entertainment license so yeah Benio Vista uh, was the ones that were distributing uh, the uh, Deke Entertainment stuff um, at the time, which is why going back to the um, going back to this one, the Supersonic DVD, which is why you know it got pulled quickly as quickly as it was released, due to the fact that they didn't have the okay from uh, from Disney to to put those out. You know they didn't get the okay from them. Uh, to do that but anyway but anyway it wouldn't be that long afterwards that we would finally get another official release on DVD now in between then though I did have help from Rafaela XD she was selling VCD versions of Sonic Stat AM yeah she was selling VCD versions so what I did is I you know I paid her to send me copies you know some VCD copies of what she of the episodes she had. These were the uncut episodes, which I think you could tell they were from. I think I think some of them were the original ABC broadcast, but some of them were also from Pop Television out of the UK. So she sent me those, and what I did basically, and I showed this again as best as I could. What I did uh, basically is I try to get this organized here. I try to get this organized. Hold on, guys. Um, what I did basically is I decided, because I had an Apex, I had an Apex DVD recorder. This was back at a time in the early to mid 2000s that a lot of companies like Apex, like ILO, like, you know, like currently, like the one I have in the living room, Samsung and Philips, and, and all of them were. Uh, distributing and were creating and distributing DVD recorders, which was the more modern-day take on VC, you know, VCRs, video cassette recorders. So they were doing that. They were releasing all these DVD recorders that would allow folks to take a recordable DVD, um, a recordable DVD, basically. Uh, if I can find one here real quickly to give you an example. But take something like like this, and if you're listening to this uh, through audio, I'm showing them one of the recordable DVDs. But basically, take something like um, hold on, something like this, which is a recordable DVD because of the the other side uh, where the laser would hit is all purple, and record a lot of their favorite programs on there. They would allow them to record a lot of their favorite programs. But unfortunately, what happened is uh, basically, I think a lot of studios, a lot of major studios, had gotten on uh, these companies uh, for doing this. They'd gotten on to these companies for, for uh, distributing 
and creating and distributing these devices because now not only could people uh, record certain movies and shows onto DVD along with other stuff, but they could potentially, if they're recording it off, let's say, a premium cable service like HBO or Showtime or whatever, Stars or, or Disney Channel, they could potentially end up selling, you know, various copies of, let's say, a movie, you know, and make a profit off it. That's kind of pirating something that, you know, they should they don't really have ownership to, even though, you know, they recorded it off television with something they bought with their own money. So, yeah, basically DVD recorders... You know, they were around for a while. They still technically are, but not as much. Uh, so, you know, but, but yeah, basically they, they bit the dust and everything. Uh, like I said, they're still technically around, but not as much. You have to find them mostly in places like a Best Buy or whatever. And you can also find Blu-ray recorders there as well. You can also find Blu-ray recorders. Those are out. Uh, and that's how a lot of people are selling a lot of these Blu-ray versions of stuff. Uh, that normally are not official, but the bootlegs are basically like DVD, VCD versions of an episode on a Blu-ray, and they're just selling it for, for profit because they have a Blu-ray driver, writer, or a recorder that they're putting it on. But anyway, <laughs> getting back on topic, um, I had an Apex DVD recorder back in that time frame. So what I did, so what I did is I decided to take the VCDs that she had... Uh, sold me. She, I basically bought from her, which I still technically have. They're in the garage somewhere in some boxes. I think I got them in various boxes scattered about. Um, I, but I also basically took them all and I put them onto a DVD recordable disc. You know, that's the one thing about recordable discs. You can also use them as data discs to store a lot more. So you could take, you know, all the episodes in those separate discs and store them into one or two DVDs. You know, for usage later, and that's what I did. That's what I did basically with uh, Sonic SatAM. So if I ever wanted to record, or not record, but create a SatAM fan vid in the future, I have the op I have the property to uh, not the property. I have the uh, v I have the DVD uh, data disc now to to do that with. Uh, but getting back on getting back on topic, you know, getting back on topic though. Um, like I said, I had that recorder, I had that Apex recorder, and I decided, you know what, I'm going to go out, I'm going to buy some DVDs, and when I get the time, because I was working at the time, I think I was working at uh, Burger King at that time, because when you look at the dates here, they would say things like 2003 and stuff, but I was working at Burger King at the time, so I had to use like the time before I went to work, the time after work, uh, if I wasn't tired and all that, as well as I would use uh, basically uh, my days off to record, you know, some episodes. Sometimes I do it one day at a time, one episode a day or two episodes a day, whatever. And and when it was all said and done, I had basically curated. Uh, my own complete DVD sets of Sonic Sat-A-M. And this was before we got the official release that I'm about to show you in 2007. So I decided, okay, I'm going to do that. And, that's, and the end result was this. I basically, I basically went the route where I figured, okay, if, you know, if Dick Entertainment through Disney or whoever was to allow them to do 
multiple volumes, like season one, season two of Sonic Sadiam, obviously they would probably add in bonus episodes from other Sonic cartoons. So I decided, okay, what would I do? How would I view it? And what I did was I did the seasons, you know, as they are. I did the seasons as they were. And for bonus episodes, I added in Sonic Underground's To Catch a Cream and a, the Sonic X Sneak Peek. This was around when Sonic X was coming out. But I also listed them uh, chronologically as uh, supposed to, or as they was originally supposed to be out, or at least as I saw online, uh, even though I knew you know, better about, okay, Super Sonic was first. I went chronologically as it was viewed on several sites. And then that's how I did the episodes. Those are how the episodes I put in chronological order, how I recorded them and stuff like that. And I had Heads or Tails on there twice. So I did Encore presentation for it um, as well. And then, of course, that's the disc right there. Um, I, I think you can see that. That's the disc right there. Um, the Memorex had um, stuff you can print, uh, DVD, uh, well basically Memorex had these things that, they still do technically, where you can print out covers for your disc and for your DVD cases. So I got one that was kind of very foil-like for Season 1. And of course you can see this is a picture from the end of Season 2. But yeah, that's what I did right there. I kind of, I kind of got creative in everything with uh, the disc. And then, of course, I had, I had these as well, because originally I had it in a jewel case. I had it in a jewel case and everything uh, before, um, you know, you know, I had a, a jewel case. I basically had it in a, in a jewel case before I decided to put it onto or put it into a, a DVD case uh, later on. So I had it in a jewel case. Um, originally before, you know, putting it into, uh, a regular DVD case, you know, later on and stuff. So, I did that. And then, of course, I couldn't do season one without doing season, uh, two. So, I did season two. So, here's season two right here. This is season two. And, of course, I did it in chronological order. And just like before, I added some bonus features. So I added some of the Sonic music videos that I did, I created, uh, as a bonus feature, along with the Sonic Underground episode, Wedding Bell Blues, because I figured, you know, like I said, if, you know, an official uh, company was to distribute it like, like this, that's probably what they would do. And then, of course, just like before, um, I had it originally, I had Season 2 originally in a jewel case, which is why um, I have these pictures right here to kind of, you know, back it up a little bit. You know, well, not back it up, but kind of like, yeah, kind of back up the fact that, you know, this is proof I had it in a jewel, I had them in jewel cases originally, but also kind of like a reminder of where they first uh, was stored when I recorded them. And then, of course, I got the cover here based off of the 100th issue of Sonic. Um, Archie Sonic right here, the 100th issue. So, that's that's what I did there. And then, of course, later on, of course, later on, I decided, okay, I'm going to do some bonus stuff. And what I did, basically, is I went out and I did what I consider uh, the best and very best of Sonic, of Sonic the Hedgehog, 
which consisted of not just Satyam, but of Sonic X and, and even Underground uh, to an extent. So that's what I did there, um, basically. And one of the first things on this one, which was the first volume, is what I call the Doomsday Project movie. And as I've mentioned on numerous occasions, I had uh, done done a lot of things, uh, basically. Um, I had done a lot of things, and these are just uh, a mixture. This is a collage cover for the disc um, that I put together. But I had, on multiple occasions, even up till a couple years ago, uh, tried to basically piece the final four episodes of Sonic Sat AM Season 2 into a movie. Never could do it correctly until finally, after I got my Samsung recorder, I was able to actually do it correctly and without a, without a problem. And thus is the um, and thus is the movie you can find here on my channel. And then of course, or like I said, this was the first volume of what I consider the best of Sonic. And then of course I did a second volume um, as well. Once again, a collage of imagery to show you what's included on there and stuff. So that was pretty cool for me to to do. Um, you know when I did it, and our cooler's going on right now because it's getting humid outside. Uh, but that basically, that is basically what, you know, what we did at that time. You know, not me, we, but that's what basically what I did um, at that time. You know, that's basically what I did um, at that time. I had recorded, I had basically created, I did adjust myself there. I created, you know, these very best of things here. These very best of stuff um, here that you know I, I felt represented Sonic uh, the best, um, you know, in his own way. So, like I said, very cool uh, to have in the collection. And then, of course, like I said, you know, season one right here um, with the stuff in there, and again the little stuff here to show that. Originally, I had it in a jewel case uh, when I first made it. And then, of course, like I said, the same for Season 2. So I basically had the complete series uh, before, like I said, we got the official release that we got uh, later on. So I, was, so I was kind of a step ahead. And then, of course, like I said, the aforementioned Sonic Sat AM Doomsday Project, which, of course, I have twice just in case, you know, I have it twice. But yeah, this is just basically a compiled, probably the best version of compiling the movie to get the final four um, episodes as a movie uh, together that I think you're going to get, uh, period. So, so yeah, I was, so yeah, that was a proud moment for me to finally get this done in a way that it feels like you're watching the, the, fin the final four episodes in movie format. And by the way, you could watch them um, um, in two different formats. You can watch them in 4K and non-4K um, as well. And then, of course, then, of course, like I said, a few years later, we ended up getting the official uh, DVD release by Shout Factory. Uh, this was at a time when uh, Disney no longer had the license. Shout Factory had gotten the exclusive license to a lot of Deke Entertainment stuff, and Sonic was one of them. So Brian Ward got in contact with a lot of us, including... Uh, the people over at uh, Fans United for Sat AM, 
got the fans involved, and the end result is, of course, this complete uh, set of Sonic Sat AM, M, uh, the series. So here you have the complete series. You have Season 1 here, uh, right here, and then, of course, you have Season 2 right there. So that was, that was really nice. And what was interesting is when this got announced, like I said, Brian Ward got in contact with a lot of us. Even I talked to him. And when I worked at Walmart, I think I have images I could probably show you or link you to. I worked as an unloader in Lawrence, Kansas, at Lawrence, Kansas Walmart. And I remember we would get these boxes in of everything that was going to be distributed on the floor and, you know, at certain times. So I remember looking into, and we would have to, and we had to look in the boxes, make sure everything was there. And I remember looking into one of the boxes, and we stored it down, and I remember a couple of times during break, I would go over just to confirm it, and I looked in there, and lo and behold, one of the boxes had Sonic Sat AM. They had this. So what I did is, of course, at midnight, because our Walmart, and because the Walmart there I was working at was 24-7, at midnight I bought this, and then I went back and bought another copy of it, a few more copies, one for my cousin, cousin in Hayward, one for my oldest nephew, uh, one for Jay Foxfire, and I think one for Raphael XD because they had helped me out a lot. I think Jay had done a commission for me, uh, the commissions for me with Sally and Sonic doing the Pretty Woman poster parody and then Sally soaking in a bubble bath and then submerging under. I think, you know, she did that for me. So as a thank you, I ended up getting her a copy of these, I believe. And then I got, and then afterwards I decided to get myself an additional copy and this is that copy. This is basically how it looked uh, when it first was released. So this is basically unopened and everything. It is unopened and everything. So this is how it was originally when you bought it. So I have, like I said, two versions of it, you know, at the ready. I have two versions at the ready. A viewable copy and one that, for collector reasons. And as I've said before, I've been always wanting to try to get one of those frames where you put something like this in there and you display it for, um, for you know, collector's sake and all that. But yeah, those were, um, but yeah, that was, those were great uh, moments uh, for me as a fan. You know, just um, having, uh, as I try to adjust myself here to put the, the movie back or the set back, there we go. But yeah, that was a it was a great moment for me to be you know, like one of the first people to um, to get Sonic Sat AM on DVD when it came out. Now, of course, they did release some episodes in variety disc um, as well, kind of like what you know myself and other fans would kind of put together. And here we have the Mega Mix. And on the Mega Mix, you have from Sat AM, Ultrasonic, and Supersonic. Ultrasonic had never been released on DVD until Sat AM, and of course this. So they made up for that in a major, uh, major way. You know, they made up for that in a major, major way, which was pretty cool. Pretty cool because it's one of the more you know, emotionally uh, sought um, episodes of, season, of Sonic Sat AM of Season 1 um, out there. And it also kind of like 
laid the groundwork for season two because it got followed up on technically in season two with Sonic Inversion. Um, but anyway, long story short, though, um, I got myself those and I've had them ever since. You know, I've had them ever since. But that wasn't the only thing either. As you all know, if you look behind here, right there, because I found out about this online when I lived in Kansas, you know, there was Sonic Live in Sydney, and of course they had Sonic merchandise exclusive to that, which of course included Sally. So, of course, I ended up eventually, the, the year I left, the year, basically months before I left, the same year though, in 2007, I won an eBay, I had the money, and it was like God was telling me, get this while you can. Get this while you can have the opportunity. And that's what I did. So it cost me over like 250 bucks, shipping and handling as well. But I ended up getting the Sally plush from Sonic Sydney, Australia. Someone was selling it on eBay and I bought it for that much. And I got it directly from Australia and I've had her ever since. And for anybody that's always curious, no, she's not for sale. So we'll put an end to that. Uh, but of course, I also have the uh, junior novels as well, like the um, Robotnik's Revenge, Extreme, and stuff like that. And I think, um, you know, like Robotnik's Revenge, Extreme, Fortress of Fear, I have those. I've shown those off before. Uh, but also what I have, and I was happy to get these. I was happy to get these when I did. Uh, if I can pull them out here. I have it all mixed up with some stuff now, so... <laughs> It's kind of uh, hard to do, but I think I have them. Um, I have them separate here. So here we have... This was uh, one of the original um, drawings, or at least one of the original uh, drawings here, because you can tell by the punch holes, of Sally. This is one of Sally's original designs. And these are uh, the ones that uh, I helped, I scanned and sent to uh, Jacob to use in the book. Here... We have um, Sally. This is from the Dulcie episode when she's in her pajamas, her pajamas and everything. She's sitting on the bed. And that's when she gets the um, the note from Uncle Chuck about Robotnik going after the dragons, mostly going after Dulcie. And it says it right there. It's from the Dulcie episode. And then, of course, we have Lupe from Cry of the Wolf, which is really cool. And then, of course, we have from the odd couple which was the sec which was the very last Antron focus short along with Rebecca we have Bunny Rabbit in her pajamas <laughs> you know so we have her in that which I like I was really happy to have really happy to get those and then let's see what else is in here um, that is Saturday I'm related some of these I got from Frank Hill some of these I got from Frank Hill, so thank you, Frank, uh, for that. Very, you know, very much appreciated. I think I'll, I think that's about it. I'm trying to make sure. Yeah, I think that's about it. Uh, some of these I got from Frank Hill. Uh, these actually, um, I printed out myself um, as well because I, when I lived in Patterson. Uh, when we lived in Patterson, I decided to frame these and everything, but I have to use the frames for other things. So, I ended up, of course, getting these framed up and all that uh, when I did. 
So yeah, I have, pick, I have these uh, little things here. And of course, this is a, a smaller version of what you see right there. This is that collage picture from from the reboot and everything, or the soft retcon reboot, however you want to look at it. I actually have two copies of it too, so. Because I was trying to figure out like which size was the best size and everything, so. But yeah, I have those. But the rest basically comes from uh, Frank Hill because Frank always likes to send stuff to me and and and, um, and uh, uh, Theron Isaac and stuff. So here's a promotional card for uh, from ABC of Sonic the Hedgehog. This is from the ABC Photography Department, 1993. That's pretty cool. And I think that's about. I think that's about it. Yeah, it is. And it's even numbered. It has a 62 on the back. But yeah, Frank sent me that, which was really cool of him, cool of him to do. And then he sent this in one of the more recent packages. It's really nice. It's a screenshot from uh, Fed Up With Antoine. And then he sent me this. I think this was uh, supposed to be like an idea to, you know, for Knuckles to show up. And then, of course, another screenshot from Adventures. And then this is a poster... This is something I got through the eBay thing um, as well. And then I think this is something else that he sent me uh, as well. So, But yeah, the majority of the stuff there, right here, I just showed you, is from Frank Hill. The rest, um, I got through um, eBay. The rest I got through um, eBay and stuff. Uh, but most of it came from Frank Hill. But yeah, to have these, though... That's that is something that's really amazing because you can tell the numbers and everything. So it's really cool to have these, and of course to have that. That's off one of the original drawing desks. That's that is something, and of course I think that's from Heads or Tails. That's supposed to be, you know, a drawing from Heads or Tails, the the pilot, um, if you will. That's supposed to be from the from the pilot. I try to get it in here. As best I can't. There we go. Get in there. Get in there. So yeah, that's from the um, on the pilot and everything. So you know, to ha to have that in the collection, I think it's really cool to to have. It's really nice to have and everything. But speaking of Sonic Sadiam, of course, this being the 29th anniversary, like I said, there's a lot of people that are celebrating in their own way, and like I mentioned earlier. Uh, Jacob Berkeley, a uh, Satayam historian who's doing the book, The Complete History of Sonic the, Hitch Sonic the Hitchhog, actually shared several interviews that he had done for the book. Yeah, he shared several episodes he had done for the book, and I'll read those in just a minute, guys. Give me a little break to stretch my legs here, but and also probably change the battery um, here in a moment. But, um, yeah, he did some interviews uh, for the book, and I'm going to share those with you in just a minute. I'll be right back, guys. All right, so, like I said, he, um, Jacob Berkeley, a.k.a. the Satyam Historian, uh, a.k.a. the Satyam Historian, uh, decided to help celebrate the um, 29th anniversary, you know, along with Season doing the own thing with the live stream. He decided to share... 
several um, interviews that he did for his book. Now, this apparently, I think, might be, I'm not really sure, uh, correct me, Jacob, if I'm wrong, this looks like it's going to be possibly one of the covers, potentially, for the book. And then, of course, we have the interviews that he did. Now, originally, I was going to read the interviews like this, but it looks like it's a little hard for me to do. I mean, you can make it out a little bit uh, of, what he, of what they say, and I'll probably post it up here uh, for you guys to see, too. Um, hopefully. If not, I'll link it uh, down below so you guys can check it out for yourself. But yeah, I was going to read off the interviews like this, but it looks like they're a little um, hard to do. So I'm going to just read it off the screen here. But I am going to keep these for collector reasons. You know, so I'll just put these to the side. There we go. And I'm just going to read it here. And uh, that's why I also got a water. This was also why I got up just moments ago to kind of stretch out the legs and you know, get myself ready for this here. But he has three interviews he put up. And the first one he shared was, was uh, with Ryan uh, Myrick. I mean, not Ryan, but with Ron. Not Ryan, but Ron Myrick. And um, Ron came on board, I think, from what I'm understanding here, in the third season. I mean, not the third season, but the second season. And this is what the interview went. The, this is how the interview went. Uh, the questions asked by Jacob are in uh, are highlighted in gold, and Ron's answers are highlighted in right in white, I should say. So, Ron uh, Ron's answer answers to the questions and stuff uh, in white, and uh, Jacob's questions to him are in gold. So, this is the uh, this is the first interview he shares and the first question he asked Ron was who are you and how did you get involved in the animation industry what's your histories in regards in regards to your involvement with animated films and TV shows any notable ones that was his first question to Ron this was Ron's answer and I quote I am in my fourth decade plus in the field of animation I was fortunate enough to be hired straight out of colleges or college by the studio Filmation. They produced such notable series as Fat Albert, The Archies, He-Man, She-Ra, and many more. I left there to start my own freelance studio, contact or contracting animation from various production companies around town. I got my start in animation as an in-betweener, then I was promoted to assistant animator and later a journeyman animator, in the early 90s, I was hired by Hanna-Barbera to direct the series AB, to direct the series The Addams Family for the ABC Network. So, if you were fans of the 90s Adam, the 90s Addams Family series, he was part of that. The second question he asked, uh, Jacob asked him was, "How did you get involved with the Saturday Morning Sonic the Hedgehog series?" This was Ron's answer to that. Ron's answer was. After directing and producing The Addams Family for two seasons, the president of Children's Programming at ABC, a lady named Jenny Therese, asked me to move from H&B to the studio Deke, D-I-C, which was producing the Sonic series. Another question by Jacob. Had you known about Sonic... Had you know... Okay, let me reread that. This is the next question by Jacob. Had you known about Sonic before getting involved with... Or had you known about Sonic before getting involved with the series? 
Ron's answer was, yes, I knew of Sonic. It was one of the more popular video games in the country at the time, and it had high ratings on Saturday morning television. While I was initially disappointed to leave the Adams family, I recognized it as an opportunity to build a relationship with the network. During those days, the big three networks held all the power in children's programming. Having a direct line of communication with the head of the network was a good thing. Little did I know how the industry was soon to change when the studios were bought up by the networks to produce their own content. So, the interview is going... So, the interview so far, I think, is really good. Next up, he asked... This is Jacob asking Ron. Are you aware of why Dick Seabath, the director of the first season, didn't return to direct the second? And, that, you know, Dick Seabath was the director of season one of Saturday Am. Uh, this was Ron's answer. Dick and the story editor, Lynn Jensen, did not work well together, as Dick chose to leave the series after season one. Okay. So apparently, you know, they didn't... Dick and Jen, you know, didn't work very well, I guess, like, trying to mix oil with water. Uh, he continued... The next question Jacob asked was, You're credited as both the producer and the director for every episode of the second season of Sonic Sat AM. Can you give us some insight in your part of an episode's production? What was the general process of creating and directing an episode like? Uh, this is Ron Myrick's answer. As the producer-director, I was involved in every aspect of the production from the scripts, designs, and back... Uh, okay, from the... Okay, blah, let me reread that. This is Ron's answer to that question, and I quote. As the, as the producer-director, I was involved in every aspect of, that, of the production, from the scripts, designs of backgrounds, characters, voices animation, and final delivery in post. I was responsible for it all. Alright, continuing on. The next question he asked him was, As the director, did you have much say in terms of how the script should be altered or changed? And this was Ron's answer. Unlike my predecessor, Dick, I had a great working relationship with Lynn Jansen. I found him to be very open to suggestions, and he welcomed my notes and ideas in regards to the story. Continuing on. Next question. What were your interactions like with the art department of the Satayam TV series? Do you remember any people or moments specifically that you'd like to mention? Ron's answer. I had a good working relationship with all of the departments. Animation is a team effort and it's important for a director to have the support of everyone around him or her. Alright, continuing on. Continuing on. The next question he asked was, "You were additionally an anima you were you were additionally an animator ti uh, animation timer for the series. Can you go a little into details in regards to what that job entailed?" Okay. The question he asked him again was, "You were additionally an animation timer for the series. Can you go a little into detail in regards to what that job entailed?" Ron's answer to that. Because of the storyboard programs of today, timing is an art slash job that is quickly fading away. I would prefer not to discuss the process since it's rather involved. So in other words, you know, instead of actually discussing it, he'd rather not discuss it because it's, because it's probably too much that goes into it. Uh, the next question he asked uh, him is, Did you ever talk much with the writers and the story editors of the show? Lynn Jansen, Ben Hurst, Pat Ali... If so, do you remember much about them or any discussions you had with them? 
excuse me, his answer to that was, I have fond memories of working with Lynn and the other story editors. I gave them two suggestions that shaped the story arc of season two. The first was for Sonic's uncle to become a mole inside Robotnik City HQ. He had been roboticized in season one. Well, actually, it was already roboticized in season one. They were able to release, and we're going to go into the next page here. We're going to the next page here. And we're going to have to... Um, there we go. They were able to release him from the spell or influence of Robotnik's machine. He told Sonic that he felt that he could do more good with the overthrow of Robotnik if he stayed in the city. He further told Sonic that he had heard about something called Doomsday. He didn't know what it was, but if he remained in the city, he could become a mole and funnel information back to Sonic. We then made that a thorough line in each episode with a little more intel being given. Uh, being Okay, we, we then made that a thorough line in each episode with a little more intel being given to Sonic and the audience leading up to the final reveal of what Doomsday was. Now, I, I will say this, he probably, because he's worked in the industry for a long time, he does have memories, you know, very photographic memories, but, you know, sometimes they get mixed up with stuff and all that. And I'm pretty sure he probably doesn't recall correctly exactly how they got to that point until later on and stuff. Um, but he, but he's kind of on the nose, but not, not really. With all due respect. Um, continuing on, the next question he asked was, Did you have much involvement with the voice acting side of the show, such as with many, such as with any of the voice actors or the voice director, Jeannie McSwan? And this was Ron's um, answer. Jeannie is now retired from animation. She was a good friend and a delight to work with. The recording sessions were the highlight of the production. We had an amazing cast of voice talent and guest stars for each episode. When it works well, the voice recordings are like playing more than working. Okay, and that, and that was his answer to that. Next answer, oh, next question was asked by Jacob to him. Did you talk much with the people in charge of Geek, such as Andy Hayward or Robbie London, or anyone from Sega or ABC? If so, did they re specifically request any changes when it came to the show? His answer, yes. His answer, Ron's answer is, yes. I worked with them, but not too often. Uh, yes, I worked with them all, but not too often. They were more involved with the network and clients of the many shows that they were doing. Next question. Do you have any interesting details of stories productions-wise for Pacific episodes you worked for, or you worked on for the second season? In his, his answer to that question, There are many so stories I could tell. Unfortunately, they would be boring unless you were there in the moment. Therefore, I'll spare you the details. Continuing on, another question. Are there any aspects of the second season which had to be cut due to time or network, infer uh, network inf interference? His answer, nothing of significance. Next question. Additionally, the cliffhanger of the show showing off the red eye seemed to be a later addition as it was not in the script, and no storyboard from it have surfaced. Would you say this is true? Ron's answer to that? Yes, that ending was an add-on. At the time, we didn't know if there was going to be a third season, so I wanted to tease the audience with the possibility that Sonic's next and greatest opponent, Knuckles, 
was about to arrive. I'm very impressed at the depth of your research. So that's a different answer from what we got from Ben Hurst. And in fact, he even brings that up in a question. That's a different answer from, from what Ben Hurst has given us. But again, he brings uh, Jacob brings this up. He follows that up in this question in um, here. He says, interesting. Ben Hurst has stated his, that his own plan was for the identity of the Red Eyes to be actually... Okay, let me reread that. Let me reread that. This is the follow-up to that. He says, interesting. Ben Hurst has stated that his own plan was for the identity of the Red Eyes to be to actually be Nagus. Were you aware of Ben Hurst's plans? And Ron's answer to that, I won't be... Uh, Ron's answer to that is, I won't get into the... Uh, 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 let me let me read that. Okay. Ron's answer. To, Ron's answer to that is this: I won't get into a back and forth of differing opinions with Ben. I highly respect his point of view and enjoyed working with him and the other writers, Pat and Lynn. I was not aware of his or their plans for the character of Nagus. It is possible that the writing team was working on the story arc from se- for season three. Since it never happened. I was not privy to those meetings. As far as the final outcome of a show, the writers were rarely involved in the process of post-production. The writing team was long gone by the time we were in the post. I took my lead from uh, the Sega executive that we worked with. He encouraged me to find a way to tease the audience with the coming of Knuckles. That is why there is no script for that ending. If you look closely... At the picture, you will notice that the eyes are the same as Sonic's. That's because I used a close-up of Sonic and took and took all of the color out of it and added a red glow to his eyes. It doesn't really matter to me what Season 3 might have been since it never happened. My best takeaway is that directing Sonic the Hedgehog was one of the best experiences in my long career. When and if there is a fan-based series created, I would love to see it. So, what I'm getting from that, ladies and gentlemen, what I'm getting from that is apparently Ben's, Ben Hurts, God rest his soul, Ben's idea for a, uh, you know, for the revelation of the eyes differed from what was intended off the bat, because apparently the Sega executive that was there said, go with Knuckles. Go with Knuckles, apparently. So, yeah. It seems that what a lot of us pretty much guessed, you know, pretty much figured and guessed just by the way the eyes were designed, I guess what a lot of us pretty much guessed and, um, you know, you know, we guessed, you know, could be, you know, behind those eyes was right on the money. It was either going to be Metal Sonic or Knuckles, and a lot of us that went with Knuckles, I guess we were right. It was going to be Knuckles. <laughs> cool. But again, it differs from what Ben wanted to do. And Team Season is going off of what Ben's doing, but I can only imagine Team Season's reading this and going like, so it was supposed to be Knuckles? <laughs> you know, so, again, I say that with all due respect, but anyway. Anyway, um, continuing on, the next question that he asked him is, the series ended up uh, the series ended up being canceled, meaning a third season was never made. 
Would you have returned to direct the third season had it been made? Ron's answer to that, yes, I would have returned for a third season. I had a lot of fun working on Sonic and with ABC. When you produce a series, it's a little like birthing a child. You don't you don't want to walk away from it when it's just getting good. A third, a third season of Sonic would have been incredible. The other question, would you say your experience working on Sonic was a positive one overall? Ron's answer, yes, it was very, it, yes, it was a very positive experience. Looking back at those two series, I can honestly say that they are among the high points in my long career. I also produced an afternoon special for ABC titled Jimbarene or Jimbarana or something. It was based on an African folktale. It was also a delight to direct act and it was it was also a delight to direct in the last project I did for them. Continuing on, next question he asks What have you done since Saturday Am was cancelled? Any other notable shows or films you've worked on since? What are you working on today? Ron's answer After I left Sonic I did two more series for Dick. The first was a four part miniseries based on the magicians Siegfried and Roy. The title was Samonte. Uh, Samonte, there may be more to the title that I can remember. The second was Street Sharks, which was a toy line for Mattel. After that I moved on to the studio that was producing Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. That studio was Saban Entertainment. For them excuse me. Excuse me. For them, I directed the second season of The Incredible Hulk and The Avengers. There were just a small few of the many shows... Oh, those are just a small few of the many shows I went on to direct. Currently, I'm directing a movie for Mattel, which will be part of the Barbie franchise. It's titled Mermaid Rock. Last year, I directed a documentary series that airs on Netflix it's, uh, titled How to Become a Tyrant. It is a, com- it is a, com- it is a combination of live action and animation. It is the most unique project I've ever done. Last question. What are your thoughts on the Satyam fan base as it exists today? There's a huge fandom and there's even a group putting together a fan-made third season of the show. And Ron's answer. This is all good news to me. I'm in awe that there is a third season of Sonic being uh, uh, being conceived of by the fans. It's so cool and I would love to see the end result. I hope I have answered the question to your satisfaction. I appreciate that you and all the fans have enjoyed my work. Sincerely, Ron. Now, Jacob put down here a fun fact from Ron. He says, A fun fact from Ron. A bit of trivial information you might enjoy. This is from um, Ron, actually. This is a fun fact from Ron. He says, A bit of trivial information you might enjoy. I worked with the composer Randall Chrisman on the score for Sonic. As part of his audition, I had him do a mass-up of the classical sympathy Shazad and a Stevie Wonder song, Keep On Running. It is a crazy request, but he did a great job in doing it. He was fun to work with. So that's a fun fact from uh, Ron Merrick in the interview that um, in the interview uh, that he did with him. Now, the next one he did was with Art Man. Art Mahaney, Art Mahaney, who had worked on the comic as well, and I think you kind of tell that he worked on the comic because of later issues had design. Had design, and if you excuse me for a second, 
as I check the time, we're going to get into that in a moment, but I'm going to go get me another drink of water here. Or I can probably get me a Zola or something. Zoa. Can't go wrong without it. It actually lives up to its state, too. It's good. That's good. Now, this is the other interview he did for the book. This is for Art Mahini. Uh, Art Mahini. Uh, Mahini. Uh, Ma Art Mahini. No, Ma Art Mahini. Is the interview he did with him for the book. First question he asked him was, "Who are you, and how did you get into the art, in, into art and story about?" Okay, the first question he asked him was, "Who are you, and how did you get into art and storyboarding?" Art's answer: I attended Cal Arts for animation briefly when they were first open. I couldn't afford to stay there and finished a degree, or I couldn't afford to stay there and finish a degree, so I came back to Wisconsin and got a BS in art from UW, University of Wisconsin. Always had planned to go back to Cali, but instead ended up starting an animation studio in Wisconsin. I did TV commercials and long-form educational animation for my first 20 years. Then, in the very early 90s, was when cable TV was exploding, and lots of new content was needed, including animation. I was contacted by Dick, by Dick, uh, by Dick, D-I-C, to do a test which led to me storyboarding on Super Dave. Next question. How did you end up getting a job doing storyboards for Deke and the Sonic the cartoons? Art's answer. After doing two Super Dave boards and delivering on time, time and reasonable quality, two things that are sometimes hard to come by in production, Deke used me for other shows. I believe I did a few Madeline boards then got approached for the Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog, T-A-O-S-T-H, had an incredible tight schedule, 65 half-hour episodes in four to five months. And that's an interesting little tidbit there. And let me do something real quickly, guys. Turn off my TV there so it doesn't get too... I don't think it'll be heard or anything. I've had it a lot longer before. Uh, but anyway. Anyway, going... So that's incredible detail that the tight schedule for Sonic the Hedgehog, The Adventures, was 65 half-hour episodes to be boarded in four to... storyboarded in four to five months. Really interesting. Uh, continuing on, the next question he asked him was, Were you aware of Sonic the Hedgehog before getting the job on storyboarding for the cartoon? Art's answer? Not really. I had young kids at the time, so we got the video game and they played it. Next question. If I'm not mistaken, you initially started doing storyboards for the syndicated Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog TV series first. Is this correct? If so, what was it like working on that, on that series? Art's answer. As I mentioned in an earlier answer, it was very hectic. Since I was a reliable board artist, they kept, me, they kept giving me boards one as soon as the previous one was done. 
Uh, next question. Did you have communication with the writers, Geek, Sega, etc., for either show you worked on? His answer. None with the writers of Sega, but obviously lots with Deek. You were, you were asked to handle a board, usually a 12-minute segment, and sent the script, some models, characters, backgrounds, and props to that show, kind of like what I just showed you there uh, earlier with the um, with that picture of Sally, that drawing of Sally. That's obviously from Art's handbook, or Art's uh, handiwork. Um, it said characters, backgrounds, and props specifically to the show, and sometimes specific notes on what the director is looking for, or, in many cases... Not all the design models are done, so you have to work around. So what I showed you earlier is basically uh, thanks to him. <laughs> it's kind of cool. Uh, next question: What led you to what led you uh, what led to you working on the ABC Saturday Morning Song Dishog, aka Saturday MTV series? Art's answer: My work on Adventures of Song Dishog and some other work for Deke led me to being offered to work on the Satie M series. Next question. How did working on the Satie M series differ from working on the syndicated adventure series? Was it weird working on two vastly different shows based on the same character? Did you prefer working on one or the other? Art's answer. Needless to say, it was strange. I hadn't been boarding for that long, and to work on two completely different shows based on the same video game was odd. The comedy of adventures was easier to work in. The AM show wanted a darker, more serious, dramatic feel, which is a bit harder to board. Next question. Do you remember the time frame from when you started storyboarding from this, for the Sat AM show? Art's answer? No. You are asking about something almost 30 years ago, and I was doing, and I was also doing other projects at that time. Next question. Do you have any, or did, okay, next question. Did you have any discussions with the showrunner and creator of Sadie M. Lynn Jansen? Art's answer, if I did, I don't remember. Normally, board artists would talk to the associate producer or board supervisor. Next question. I believe you did talk with the show's uh, director, Dick Seabast. What was he like? How did he help shape the show and what it became? Art's answer, we had a, we had few brief discussions on what I can improve on with my boards. And he would indicate that he wanted it more dramatic and dark. Because of the show, because of the quick turnaround of boards, there was very little time for input or comments from the director. But one of my trips to L.A. to Dick, I was able to talk to him. Next question. I was curious if you talked much with the director of the second season, Juan Myrick. So we're going to get to that next part. You could tell that uh, Jacob was definitely trying to get a lot of um, a lot of information uh, from those involved, and didn't get the best of answers that he was probably hoping for for himself and for us. But he did the best he could, in my opinion. He said, "Again, long." Again, a long time ago, so I don't remember much. I remember my discussions with Dick Seabath because I happened to be out at Dick when I was going over footage that had just come in of animation for an episode I had boarded. Otherwise, I'm not sure he had the time to talk much with the board artist. I had to look it up on IMDB, 
but Ron was also involved with Life with Louie, Pocket Dragon Adventures, and the Tangerine Bear TV special. All shows, all shows I boarded on. I do remember talking to someone, it could have been Ron, after Sonic had been cancelled, and he mentioned that the plan was to reveal Knuckles at the start of Season 3. The Saturday AM show had been very well received and expanded to half hour, or from a half hour to an hour in the second season, I believe. Then it went up against Power Rangers and got cancelled. At least that's what I remember. So now you have two people that worked on the show that basically confirmed it was originally supposed to be Knuckles and not Nagus. Continuing on. Next question. What was the general process when it came to storyboarding an episode for Stat AM? Ron's answer. You need to understand how the business was at that time. Very few animation production companies kept board artists on staff. We were all freelance, and in my case, I was in Wisconsin, now L.A. Boards would be assigned and models given at the same time, as well as, as, as well as the schedule. You could deliver the board, and it would be viewed by either a board supervisor or the director. Some notes made on it for changes, and the changes would be given to the storyboard vision artist, not the original artist of that board. There just wasn't time and the original board artist was on to the next episode. All that was changed over time. When I boarded ordered on Rugrats, I would submit a rough board, it was gone over, changes made, and you were given it back to complete. A better working arrangement, but one that wasn't being done then. Next question. Were there any times when Sega, Dick, or someone involved with the show requested that you change an aspect of your storyboards. You know, Art's answer? Again, Sega would not be involved with... Oh, uh, okay, excuse me there. Okay, this is his answer. Excuse me. Okay, again, this is uh, Art's answer to, uh, to Jacob. He said, again, Sega would not be involved at all with storyboard artists or designers. And there were very little comments that got back to me regarding my storyboards. Deke was happy with my work again. One of the uh, Deke was happy with my work again. One of the more common comments I have gotten over the years is that I was slash am dependable, reliable, and on time. I have done work for Deke on another show, not Sonic, when a board artist accepted the assignment, took the entire three weeks, delivered nothing, and I was hired to quickly do what the artist didn't do. Next question. Did you know why the character designs shifted so heavily starting with season two? His answer, no, just that the direction under Dick Seabass was to be more dramatic and dark. Next question. Was working on the show's second season any different from working on the first season? Art's answer, no, not really, but everything about that time kind of uh, runs together. So what he, So what I'm getting from this is uh, basically, when he's asking if he knew about the character design shifting so heavily in Season 2, obviously also with the uh, atmosphere, it was because of the changing of directors. So Dick wanted it, so D, so Dick Seabass uh, wanted it more dramatic, more dark. Ron kept it that way, but lightened it up a little bit to where you had a bit of comedicness thrown in there, a little bit more humor, a little bit more lightheartedness. Okay. Next question he asked, 
How and when did you end up working on the Archie Scientist comics? Art's answer. I was, I was in a convenience store and saw a copy of the comic. I called Archie and mentioned I had worked on the TV shows. They gave me a try. The next question by Jacob. How was working on the comics different from working on uh, the TV series? Did you have much contact with the Archie comics or the writers working there? Art's answer. No contact with the writers. You would have to... Okay, this is Art's answer and I quote. No contact with the writers. You would have contact with a coordinator. Scripts were handed out. But they would have a simple stick figure like layout so you could see what... So you could see what would go in each panel. Next question. Did the process for illustrating the comic change over time? You worked on the comic up to the 156 issue in 2005. Or 2005. Art's answer? It changed a great deal. The comic started out much like Adventures of Science of Hitchhog. Comedy slash gag driven. And it went much more into the Saturday AM realm... And we were just given the scripts and allowed to lay out the visuals the way we wanted. I would say the best time for working on the comic was around the build-up to the 50th issue. Which, obviously, you could definitely tell had a huge Satyam tone uh, to it. Next question. How and when did you end up working on the Sonic the Hitchhiker Golden Books? Art's answer. Again, one thing leads to another. I was contacted by Golden Books because they knew I would worked on the TV show and comic. Next question. What was it like working on the Sonic the Hitchhog Golden Books, Sonic's Shoe Blues, The Secret Admirer, and Up Against the Wall? Was, what was the behind-the-scenes process of illustrating for the Golden Books? Art's answer? Not very good. Because there had been two different TV shows and a comic that was somewhere between, or somewhere between the two. I don't think there was a clear vision of what the books should be, and I don't blame the writers. I also had a hard time with the visual style. Next question. Why had they kept the pilot designs for Sally for the beginning of the Archie Sonic comics run and the first two Golden Books, but changed the designs to her finalized Saturday AM look for the later issues of the Sonic comics and the final Golden Book you worked on. And his art answer is this. That's a good question. All I can remember is... Okay, art answer to that is, that's a good question. All I can remember is that all of a sudden, Sally had a vest. That was it. <laughs> I guess they pretty much told him, yep, here's Sally's design. Oh, yeah, now she has a vest. I guess, I guess you got to work with what you have. Next question. What led to you leaving the Archie Sonic comics and stop working... Okay, what led to you leaving the Archie comics and stopping working on Sonic-related projects as a whole? Art's answer. Well, the TV shows got cancelled. As far as the comic, Amic, after working on them for a while, I couldn't justify the time committed versus money. Comics, at least the Sonic comic, didn't pay as well as Boring did. Not by a long shot. As my boarding work got more and more busy, I couldn't devote time to the comic. Next question. What have you been up to since leaving the Archie Sonic to Hitchcock comics? Art's answer? I've boarded over 150 episodes of different TV shows. 
from Rugrats to Life with Louie to Wild Thornberries to Family Guy, but I have transitioned into children's books, which have a slower turnaround time than comics or storyboards, and have illustrated over 150 books, including many for Disney and Pixar, Go Diego Go, Star Wars, Marvel, and others. I just happen to be at the right place, ace at the right time to be involved with Sonic, which has led to much more, uh, which has led to much of my other work. And the final question: What do you think of the massive Sonic Saturday fan base, which exists today? Art answer: I'm very surprised by it. If the Power Rangers had not come along, that is apparently what got the AM show canceled, it would have continued for more seasons. I still like the character designs, storylines of that show. And that's part of the interview he did with Art, which is pretty cool. But so far, so far what I'm getting from this, um, but so far what I'm getting from this is that both he and Ron pretty much have confirmed the same thing that well, again, what we all suspected to be the case at the end of uh, Doomsday Project, that cliffhanger, is indeed true. Now, here's another one. It's a little shorter. This is with Alistair Scalaman, or Scalaman, uh, Sonique. That's S-O-N-I-Q-U-E, Sonique. Alistair um, Scalaman, the creator of Fans United for Saturday M, the fan site which greatly helped in reviving the Saturday M a fandom, she additionally created the first incarnation of the team season uh, webcomic and was a good friend of Ben Hurst and was one of the primary reasons we got the complete series on DVD in 2007 when we did. So, this is her interview. It's shorter, but it's also kind of a little longer. You know, in answers, that is. Uh, first question uh, that uh, Jake asked Allison is, who are you? What got you into Sonic's at AM and made you want to create Fans United for Saturday AM in the first place? Allison's answer, when I was a teenager, my brother once came into my bedroom with a Sega Genesis. He told me his friend had given it to him, but he didn't really want it and asked if I did. So I said, sure, and we hooked it up to my TV. As I recall, for some reason, the system didn't actually function properly. We couldn't get it to show up on the TV, which was obviously a problem. At first, we just chalked it up to a loss, but I eventually was able to get it working. Up until that point, I was totally a Mario fangirl. But after playing Sonic 1 and Sonic 2 for a little while, I shifted to an even bigger Sonic fangirl. I had become completely obsessed with the game. And bought all the and brought and bought all the ones for the Genesis that I could. This is around the time that the internet had started booming, and because I wanted more Sonic, I figured I would. I figured that would be the first or be the best place to go for it. I think I had visited just about every single Sonic site there was at the time, but there wasn't quite one on the okay. But there wasn't quite one the way I wanted it. So I decided to make it myself. I think some people might remember Sonic Pandemonium or Perfect Chaos, which was the same web- website under different names. Uh, 
that was my Sonic website. I tried to make it look as slick as I could and have information about all iterations of Sonic that I could find information about. My goal was to make it once my goal was to make it a one-stop shop for everything Sonic. While I could never compete eat with the lies of the Sonic Foundation uh, team Torell.net or Sonic HQ um, what, what did she mean? Well, I could never cu- quite compete with the ties of, or with the lies or tries, I, I don't know, of Sonic Foundation, Team, with Sonic Foundation, Team Terrell, uh, Team, Team Terrell.net or Sonic HQ. I think I did a pretty good job for myself. It was something that I truly enjoyed and was passionate about, and it was a good way to express my creativity. However, as the Dreamcast had just been released, this website focused heavily on the new version of Sonic and the Dreamcast games. Yeah, remember the Dreamcast? But as time went on and the Dreamcast laid to rest, I found myself again and again turning to the Sad AM series. As much as I enjoyed the games, they were far and few between for a while, but going back to Sad AM over and over, I still felt a little bit, or I still felt a lot of joy from the series. Having never read the comics much, and Sonic Underground being a big disappointment, I decided to turn my attention to, Sat-A-M, uh, to the Sat-A-M series only. Thus, SatAMSonic.com was created. His next question to Allison. Excuse me. His next question to Allison is this. How was FUS slash the forums like back in the 90s slash 2000s? Her answer to... Jacob, her answer to Jacob was well, there was no FUS forms in the 90s. That was all perfect chaos on EaseBoard. EaseBoard was a very easy way to make a form, but certainly wasn't professional. Fortunately, by the time FUS came along, I had learned to use a form hosted on a server. I don't remember what, I don't remember whatever version of the form was. I know I settled on an inversion eventually. The forms were always uh, the forms were always kind of the same. Really laid back and chill, with the occasional big blowout of drama. And I'll be honest, I think it was usually caused by me. I've calmed down a lot over the years, but some of the older members might remember me shutting down the forms if the drama got too bad. We were always able to move past it. it uh, we were always able to move past it, though, which really showed the strong bonds we had created over the show. Next question. How was Ben Hurst? What was your friendship with him like? Allison's answer. Ben and I became friends after I interviewed him for the website. Although it was much less of an interview and much more of him just telling me about his life, he loved to talk and tell all sorts of stories. I really wish I had some of them written down because, sad to say, I can only remember bits and pieces of everything he used to tell me. We became very close over the years and I consider them a best friend of sorts. He would even call or he would even call himself Uncle Ben whenever he was giving me advice. He lived a very full life with a lot of adventure and some and something I've always taken solace in is the fact that more than once he had told me that if I died tomorrow he would die fulfilled. If it didn't make his death that much easier either, but I do take comfort in knowing or it didn't take uh, it didn't take uh, it didn't make I should say 
It didn't make his death that much easier, but I do take comfort in knowing that he was able to move on without any regrets. Let me reread that. He said, this is what she said about Ben. Ben and I became friends after I interviewed him for the website, although it was, an, although it was much less of an interview and much more of him just telling me about his life, he loved to talk and tell all sorts of stories. I really wish I had some of them written down because, sad to say, I can only remember bits and pieces of everything he used to tell me. We became very close over the years and I considered him a best friend of sorts. He would even call himself Uncle Ben when he was giving me advice. He lived a full life with lots of, with lots of adventure and something that I've always taken solace in is the fact that more than once he told me that if he died tomorrow, he would die fulfilled. It didn't make his death that much uh, easier, but I do take comfort in knowing that he was able to move on without any regrets. Next question. What was put... Okay, next question. He, uh, Jacob asked Allison. What was the protection for the original Season 3 comic like? And was Ben involved in any way? Allison's answer. Ben wasn't involved, actually. He was working on his own ideas at the time. Honestly, from what I remember, the protection... Uh, honestly, from what I remember, the protection was kind of messy. There wasn't really group chats back then for us uh, to talk to one another, so it was kind of... And we're going to move on to the next one here. It was kind of hard to keep track of everything when it was just one on, when it was just one-on-one -on -one conversations. I also tried to take too much. Uh, I also tried to take on too much for myself, and as I was in college at the time. Overall, I mostly just assigned panels to people to draw, and then put them together on a page instead of doing the smart thing and handing out pages. The art was always good. But the thing, okay, the art was always good, but the styles were all over the place. Uh, okay, the art was always good, but the styles were all over the place, as well as, as we had several different artists who came and went, and the same with people coloring. I think I also had different people doing backgrounds. It was just too many people doing too many different things in a bad way. I was very naive on how to handle such a project, and it would show with how many delays we had. I seem to remember a lot of artists who would tell me last minute that they couldn't get their panels done, or couldn't get their panels in too, even though they knew earlier on that they wouldn't be able to. Um, I'm kind of surprised we managed to get as much out as we did. I believe we had a solid story. I haven't read it in ages though, so I might think differently if I saw it now. It was just putting it all together that was rough. His next question. His next question here. What caused the original seasons, season three or seasons cancellation? And how was the Dear General plotline, along with the comic as a whole, supposed to conclude? Allison's answer to Jacob. I think it was just a lack of time on pretty much everyone's part. People were going off to college, getting jobs, and it just didn't allow us the time we needed to make a monthly comic. As for Dear Journal, maybe someone else could chime in if they remember, but from what I recall, we never really planned on an ending. I wanted to get the story out of Sonic's parents, and then once that was done, move on to something else, and come back to it when I was 
uh, when I had more, uh, when I had a more solid idea of where to go. I had a lot of thoughts on whether or not they should be dead, alive, roboticized, or this or that. In the end, I don't think I ever came to a conclusion, and when the comic ended, I guess I forgot about it. I'm sorry that's not really. I'm sorry that's not a really satisfying answer, but someone else might remember something differently. This was around 18 years ago, and that's pretty hard to remember, which is true. Next question: How did FUS contribute to the eventual release of the SATAM series uh, complete? Uh, de- uh, okay, let me rewind that. All right. How did FUS Fans United for SATAM contribute to the eventual release of the SATAM complete series DVD? Allison's answer, you know, it was kind of funny, because at the time, I would get a lot of emails about SATAM DVDs, many of which say SATAM on DVD or something in the subject, and I'd open it thinking it was news about a DVD release, but it would just be someone asking, is SATAM on DVD? So I stopped opening emails like that. One email at a time, uh, one email at the time said SATAM coming to DVD from a Brian Ward. I ignored it for about a week before opening it just to see, because you never know. And that was the very and that was the very email that told me at AM the complete series was at was actually coming. Okay, let me read this. Let me read this. Okay, let me read this. Uh, let me start with the question again. The question is. How did FUS contribute to the eventual release of the SATAM Complete Series DVD? This is Allison's answer. You know, it was kind of funny because at the time, I got... Okay, you know, it was kind of funny because at the time, I would get a lot of emails about SATAM DVDs. Many of which would say SATAM on DVD or something in that subject. And I'd open it thinking it was about... uh, And I'd open it thinking it was news about a DVD release... But it would just be someone asking, is Satayam on DVD? So I stopped opening emails like that. One email at the time said, Satayam coming to DVD from a Brian Ward. I ignored it for about a week before opening it just to see, because you never know. And that was the very email that told me Satayam, the complete series, actually was coming to DVD thanks to Shout Factory. I cursed myself for not opening the email sooner and emailed him back some information. At the time, he was looking to get in contact with people like Ben Hurst and Jolio White. I couldn't help him with Jolio White, but obviously I knew Ben. At first, Ben was hesitant to do an interview for them. I'm not sure why, but interestingly enough, it was Pat Ali who convinced him. There were also there were also a lot of members of FUS who contributed artwork. For, for the inside of the DVD cover. Other than that, Brian kept me up to date on some of the ideas he had that I shared with the members. And that was pretty much it. Or, and that was pretty much it. It was it was a super fun experience to be part of and it was probably the highest moment of FUS overall. Next and last question of the sneak peek of these interviews. He asked, "What was your reasoning for stepping down for being? Uh, what was your reasoning for stepping down from being the owner of FFUS?" Ellison's answer: Mostly, I just lost interest in Sonic and didn't have the time, so I began looking for someone to take over. 
It wasn't anything more than that. FUS overall was a fantastic experience. I've learned a lot about websites and was able to express my creativity and I made some lifelong friends that I wouldn't trade for anything. I can't even explain how happy I am that the site is still going strong and so many classic members are still around. I love the new Season 3 comic and I'm really looking forward to their animation. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me. It was kind of trip down memory lane. And those are the <laughs> interviews that Jacob uh, uh, Satyam Astorian put out for for this. And uh, whew, let me uh, take a breather for a second, guys. Because that's long. And this is going to be a long-ass video um, at the end of the day. It's going to be a long-ass video. So I do apologize for that. But, whew. This, might, this is probably going to get converted into 480, so I do apologize for that, too. Maybe even 360, but 480, mostly. But, but I, I'm, I'm going to say this. Just out of those sneak peeks, and I don't think that's the complete... I mean, some of them are the complete interviews, some of them are not. Um, you can tell there's probably more interviews he has planned. Um, but I'm telling you right now, just, just based on that, you know, um, it's quite interesting to find out about some things. I mean, Ben Hurst, uh, come, you know, Ben Hurst has said for years that the original plan for the uh, revelation of the person behind the red eyes at the end of Doomsday was going to be Nagus. But when you have two people that worked closely on the artistic part of it, and one of them being Ron Myrick, who was the director for season two, uh, being in contact with one of the Sega executives, you know, coming out along with Art Marway, uh, Ma along with Art Mahini, both of, and both of them saying that, you know, the eyes were supposed to represent Knuckles and not Nagus, and basically saying there was a difference between the two. You know, that's quite that's quite the information to find out. There really is. I mean. You know, I'm all for the fact that, hey, you know, we probably, you know, I mean, I'm all, what I'm trying to say is I'm all for the fact that we were probably, you know, correct in our assumptions, you know, had the show continued on um, officially. And like I said, I'm, I'm, I'll tell you this right now, I'm pretty confident, uh, just an opinion, that Team Season, they're reading parts of this and they're like, Really? So, we were right, too? Because you can't tell me that they, along with the founder of Fans United for Saturday M, Allison, are not reading these interviews, and they're like, so we were right the whole time? It was supposed to be Knuckles? You know, so, interesting, interesting concept there. Interesting concept, uh, to say the least. But, overall... Overall, uh, you know, um, a lot of information, a lot of behind-the-scenes things we didn't know about. And, you know, if this is just a taste of what we're going to get with the book when it comes out, for one, I'm happy to have contributed what I could to the book uh, when I did. But I cannot wait. I cannot wait for this book to be released. You know, and if anybody's wondering if this is, you know... You know, if this is something that's legitimately going to happen, like I said, you see the co you saw the cover and everything. It is going to happen. It is going to happen, and I, I cannot wait for it. I cannot wait to see this book. 
uh, when it gets released. But yeah, besides that though, besides that though, guys, what a run! What a run it's been so far for Sonic Stadium to to be out as long as it has, to have the fan base it has, the fact that you can watch it. You know, through various different means, whether it's through uh, different streaming services like Tubin, uh, Pluto, um, Netflix—well, not Netflix, but uh, YouTube—through uh, the Wild Brain channels, uh, Paramount, Paramount Plus. You have all these options, including the complete series DVD and a potential Blu-ray release. You know, down the line, you couldn't ask for. You couldn't ask for a better series to really go back to and and watch on occasions, no matter what. I mean, I mean, and especially if you have a, especially if you have the DVDs and you're playing them, uh, and you're playing uh, the episodes on your 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray player on your 4K television, and you look at the display, you know, of the resolution, and it shows you, you know, the 4K resolution that you're watching it in, and you put it into HDR as well, it feels just as fresh, if not, you know, fresher than it's ever been. You know, so, can't say any more than that. So, in closing, guys, happy anniversary, 29th anniversary to Sonic ZAM. Cannot wait for the 30th anniversary next year, which, again, I'm pretty certain that is the target goal for Team Season when it comes to the animation. So, be on the lookout for that. But again, guys, you know, happy 29th anniversary, Sonic ZAM. Also, happy 30th anniversary to the Archie book because it's celebrating it around the time frame um, of this year. Let me know what your guys' thoughts are on this whole on Sonic ZAM's 29th anniversary. I do apologize for the long length of this video. It's going to be a long one, guys. I do apologize for it. But hopefully you take your time in listening. And if you're listening to the podcast, the audio podcast, Hope you guys enjoy it there um, as well and take your time with it. But until next time, guys, you know where to find me. Find me at patreon.com. That's B.W. Rosas with a $1, $3 tier. At Venmo, at Brian-Warmer-2 and at Cash App at B.W. Rosas98 to help me out supportively right away. Also, check me out at my Teespring store. Also, check me out at uh, Vimo at B.W. Rosas there for content you can't get anywhere else. As well as where you can listen to the audio version of this at BW Roads of Discussions. Uh, you know, on all your favorite audio podcast locations. And also check me out at DeviantArt.com. So it's BVW, 19, uh, uh, BVW uh, 1979, I believe, or something like that. I can't think of it right now. Um, at DeviantArt.com at BVW179, I should say, I think. Let me make sure it's correct on that. To just read a lot, so my brain's kind of scatterbrained right now. So, yeah, BVW1979 at DeviantArt, you can find me. As well as you can t- check out my, like I said, my Teespring store to help support me there. And really, guys, that's all I'm going to say for now. But let me know what your thoughts are. And until then, super chat, super stickers, of course, in the live chat during the premiere. Like the video, super thanks afterwards. But let me know what your thoughts are, guys, overall on your history. With Sonic ZAM as a fan, how'd you first discover it? What are your thoughts about uh, some of the inside information we found out that differs from what Ben has told us, from what we found out from Ron and from Art? Let me know your thoughts down below. And until next time, I am out.